Get ready. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie this week. We are covering Netflix's Army of the Dead. Going into that subgenre, that horror subgenre of zombies. Okay, you got us. Army of the Dead, not necessarily based directly on a book, which is kind of what we stick to, but we open it. You know, <laughs> we open it up more than that. So, why we chose this one? We chose this one to look at the zombie subgenre because of Mr. Zack Snyder. We just did the Justice League, and so he's back with this. He also is the director of the remake of The Dawn of the Dead. So this is his return to horror, but it's a spiritual sequel to his remake of the amazing George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Which um, itself was a sequel successor to <laughs> the original, yes, original. Exactly. To one of Romero's own films. We're going to be covering all of that today. We are getting into zombies. Welcome to Army of the Dead. Taylor, let's dive into this. I love this. Uh, yeah. I, I, I am not illiterate on this subject. <laughs> Just want everyone to know. <laughs> but hopefully I'll give you some tasty tidbits that you were not aware of. The oh, basics. I'm sure you will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Directed, co-written with two others. He also did the cinematography, was one was of the camera operators. Yeah. I, I was like, why? <laughs> why in the world would you want to do that? But I, the more I read about this production in particular, the more I was just like, oh, man, he just he was, it seems like he's having fun. But we'll get to that. <laughs> well, and he picked out the lenses. We can get to it right now. He started oh, oh, in yeah. he started in commercial work, making commercials for 11 years. He knows what he's doing behind the camera. He has filmic visual sensibilities. Guy. He's, yeah, yeah, he's very visually uh, one of the most talented. Uh, say what you want about his style, but he did he carved out a cornerstone of the cinema market with techniques that became ubiquitous. Uh, mm -hmm. People ripped him off and it became overdone and droll. When we first saw some of his techniques, the, slow, the super slow-mo, the high, you know, yeah, all yeah. of the, all, what he got famous for, it's entered the zeitgeist for for cinema and it's something that Really, only Mr. Snyder himself can cook up. I am always loved his earlier films, so this one in particular has has had my attention that he's he's going back to horror, and he wants it to mm -hmm. be more like his earlier films. And Netflix also loves what he does. Here's the hype machine around this. The first Netflix film to receive wide releases at a major theater chain. But the, the bigger thing is the fact that there's two prequels already being made, a film called Army of Thieves focusing on one of the characters, one of the Sick. side characters, and an animated series called Army of the Dead Lost Vegas, which these are all going to be on Netflix. And Zach and Deborah Snyder, who's his wife and producer, said they're ready to go on a sequel. And I think the wow, end also yeah. facilitates that yeah. where it sort of ends yeah. in a little wink yeah. and a nod to. So it's like they're going whole hog on this. It's going to be some big property that revitalizes zombies for the for the. It sounds time. like it took fifteen years to get this thing really up and running. It's been in development hell for that long. Because I read that he had gotten the idea while they were making Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> right. Yeah, the film was announced in two thousand seven. Was originally going to be the debut of the guy who made the remake of the Thing. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. But then the financial crisis of two thousand eight. Uh -huh. And it got shuffled around until, yeah, 2019 when Netflix said, hey, what have you got? And he was like, oh, let's do this again. I, it's interesting. I see him kind of, you know, and this is just, you know, 
stretching, but, <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of hesitation to, you know, of like, I understand why it kind of fell into development hell here and being that it's a sidestep from Dawn of the Dead. And so it, the 15 year delay actually, I think, really works on its behalf. We've had an entire subgenre really flower out the last decade. Uh, and we've had everybody pop in and make their movie. Yeah, and maybe even become a little passe in terms of what is a zombie? Mm-hmm. What do they do? How, exactly. Like, where does it come from? Oh, it's a virus. Oh, it's like all that stuff maybe you know, people already know. Da- yeah. Walking Dead is ending. Like we are yeah, really, yeah. it is, you know, that is the mark of it. They have kept that going for 10 years plus now. And, and I think The Walking Dead as a series is really the hallmark of the the zombie boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really hasn't waned until the last, you know, few years. And here we are, the end of The Walking Dead. It seems like an amazing time for Zack Snyder to come back to this idea and really flesh it out. Now everybody has popped in, made their movie in the genre. Now he's totally, he's armed with all of his creativity to go and do whatever he wants without thinking about Dawn of the Dead, George Romero, that lineage. And then for it to be after such an emotional event in his personal life, for this to be a father-daughter story. I mean, God, what could be better than this? And there's a lot of things that he throws in, which we'll see are precursors that he's pulling from in terms of what the zombie genre is. So he's got an alien origin teased at the beginning of how this came to be. <laughs> yeah, it's in right. Area 51. There's questions. I read I saw there in... was robot zombies. Yeah, yeah I yeah. didn't see it, but like I read about that. <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's, this is... Yeah, in all directions, and I kind of am. I'm kind of all about it. I particularly mm-hmm. am excited about the anime. <laughs> right, <laughs> there's two different species of zombies, like a smarter version that is procreating, and there's baby zombies, and all these things that people are like, "Whoa, is this? This is way it's different." Like things than... we've seen in like video games since you know this or other th- th- yeah. Let's not forget you know, and we'll get to the, those types we'll of things. That well, this yeah, is a, this is multimedia's uh, genre that ha- they're massive hit video games. Talking, I mean, and I think I think. Left for Dead is coming back. I think they're actually making a sequel. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, so all of this stuff, as we go along, hopefully you'll see is a lot older than you realize than Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead 2021 right. and comes from the very beginning. So let's start with early films and then we'll work our way into George Romero, which is what we know as the yeah. modern zombie. The early one that really popularizes the zombie as a part of an American horror film is called White Zombie, and it came out in 1932. Mm. This is the first feature-length zombie film. A young woman transforms into a zombie at the hands of a voodoo master in Haiti who is using them for manual labor. So he has to kill her, brings her back to control her, and then other films follow the zombie having blank-eyed stares, the voodoo drums, and being used for manual labor. Is there anything on on where they were drawing, where where white zombie was drawing influence? Yeah, so the zombie term in general comes from Haitian folklore, a dead body reanimated through magic. But literally, like, if you ask somebody, maybe they would know that fact. Right. But, like, that's all I've ever heard (laughs) as well. So I looked a little bit more into this. And the voodoo religion is a whole religion. There's lots to it. So this is... A you know, it's like saying, "Oh, let's talk about Catholicism." And we're just opening up a little window here, getting a draft. We're going to (laughs) close. Yeah. (laughs) So, in terms of the zombie situation, the term is bokor, which would be like a parallel would be a sorcerer or witch, and this person remains under their control as a personal slave, having no will of their own. 
like the 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 soul is gone, but the body is there, and it's just being under their control. Mm. But in voodoo, there is another type of zombie, which is also a soul without a body. So that soul can be oh. sealed and in a container and given to somebody to bring good luck. Eventually, God will claim that soul. So for the two different zombies, each one is missing a half, either the flesh or the spirit. And oh, it's, it's separating those two things. So it, like I said, it is a traditional religion. It's spelt nowadays voodoo, V-O-D-O-U, to distinguish because the, the voodoo, the way you think it's spelled, sort of mm-hmm. has an offensive connotation now. It's just like, oh, this heebie-jeebie weird foreign thing right, if you're not right, from right, right. there that isn't appropriate. So that's what I'm speaking to. West African in form, combining Afro-Haitian communities during the Atlantic slave trade. So it's a blending of religions on the island of Hispaniola. Strong oral culture, so nothing really written down. A lot of initiatory traditions, secrecy behind it, and then kind of utilitarian in relation to one of the central beliefs is there are Iwa or deities which help protect counsel in return oh, yeah. for ritual service. So pretty common in terms of a polytheistic religion. Yeah. But a big piece of it is the spirit possession of the Iwa via trance or otherwise. Right. That's where the drums come in, encouraged to possess somebody. And then it's as if the Iwa has taken them over, and that sort of facilitates direct communication with the deities. The clothing that that person wore, once they come out of the trance, could bring good luck. The advice they offered as being controlled by the spirit may pass on to somebody else. Mm. This is sort of where the zombie belief gets sensationalized in the early 1900s by white people seeing this for the first time. Yeah, And there is sort of the zombie situation, like I said, about the witch getting somebody under control. That's right. a belief there. But those that believe in voodoo are more scared of having that happen to them after they die as opposed to... While they're living. Right, or some, or like a zombie attacking them. Like that's not right ever right. the, and then so then that becomes. There's a book called The Magic Island, which this white guy wrote in 1929, <laughs> and you can only imagine that white zombie comes from that in 32, I shortly see, okay. after. So that's that's the precedent for all of that. Okay, very different, more like I said, body possessed, no soul, manual labor, not cannibalistic in any, you know, it it gets transmogrified into this thing. So it's very different from saying, oh, it comes from Haitian folklore. Well, it's not really the same thing as we, as we think. It's not zombies as we know, the flesh eating, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the early, (laughs) uh, the early films did not feature that either. You know, it's this woman transforms and then, and then is doing someone else's bidding. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But what's so interesting is George Romero, which we haven't even talked about really, he did not even call them zombies. Right. Okay. It's not in the script. It's not in the. It's only when the second movie comes out ten years after the first does that become a part of the lexicon. He calls them ghouls. The ghouls. Ghouls. So of course I had to say, well, what are ghouls then? What is he drawing yeah, from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he doesn't want to associate with that folklore, ghouls are Arabian in origin. So we're mm, traveling all over okay, the world. Okay. Here, here we go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and these are undead monster spirits. And it's even used as a demeaning or derogatory term referring to a gluttonous individual or someone oh. who delights in death. Because in Arabic folklore, these are spirit creatures that dwell in cemeteries. Sometimes they would shapeshift to hyena to lure people into the desert and then devour them. It does not oh, make people yes. into zombies. Right. It devours them. So that's where the eating people sort of 
piece comes from. Gotcha. But it does, it can in some uh, stories assume the form of the victims. So kind of taking them over and maybe that's where the transference Hmm. lore Mm -hmm. comes from with all of this. Maybe that's the first instance of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not until the translation of A Thousand and One Nights that this idea of a ghoul is introduced to European society. Wow. So now we get to what's Night of the Living Dead, which comes out in 1968. Like I said, all the zombie movies before dealt with voodoo as the primary vessel for the dead revival and their mindless slaves to their human masters. And it's always a, it's always very uh, targeted, correct? Like it's it's very right, I, right. I I'm, want this you know, woman, and yeah, she's going to drink the potion. The, the, the and all witch that person, stuff. whoever you know, there's a certain. Yeah. I need this person for this to be done. Now, when we arrive at Night of the Living Dead, this must be the first instance of the for lack of a better term, pandemic, you know, the, right. <laughs> that this is a widespread, uh, you know, something is happening to everyone. Yeah. The modern day flesh eating zombie pandemic, but yet again, he's not alone in his influence here. So I found an sure. interview where he said, I had written a short story, which basically I had ripped off from a Richard Matheson novel called I am legend. Mm-hmm. And here comes there the book go. part. Here we are. Here we are. Yeah. (laughs) I Am Legend by Richard Matheson came out in 54, over a decade previous to him working on Night of the Living Dead. And Richard Matheson, to me, is kind of a mixture of Goldman, of Princess Bride fame, like real big into Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And then Philip K. Dick also doing these weird esoteric sci-fi, like, literature kind of things. Right. So in terms of being a Hollywood guy, he wrote a lot for the original Star Trek wrote dozens of episodes for the Twilight Zone, including Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, where William Shatner sees the gremlin on the wing, which is now dubbed the Shatner seat, the, the seat closest to the wing of the plane. Yeah. Like he's a, he's a legend when it comes to this in terms of TV. And then also I wrote a plane with, with <laughs> I wrote a plane with William Shatner. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I did. He rode coach and he did sit in the seat. Yeah. Uh, I didn't speak to him. And one of my tweet ended up on BuzzFeed a few well, think, like that? a year later. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Like a year li- later, somebody texts me. It's like, is you're, you're on BuzzFeed. Like, what? Oh, because I rode a plane with William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can uh, you can thank Richard Matheson for popularizing him and and planes. But beyond TV, he wrote screenplays as well. 1957, The Incredible Shrinking Man, and then we talked about this already in 1971, Spielberg's film Duel, his yes. directorial debut. Uh-huh. Those were both screenplays written by him and based on fiction that he wrote. That's incredible. And then to add on, nine more of his novels or short stories have been turned into films. Wow. What a madman. He yeah, loves- and, and, and Yeah, and it's, it's odd that people don't know his name like, say, Phil, you know, Philip K. Dick, who- or Isaac and, Asimov. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, so that that's that you know that's almost weird that you don't think. Oh yeah, Spielberg's first you know major movie was based on <laughs> this, this big author. You know, <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, did yeah, all exactly. these things that we like. Duel gets totally left out of that conversation in a way. It's like, wait, hold on. Well, you know, like when we're talking about Blade Runner, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And Richard Matheson, because and maybe it's because in a way he's all over the place. He loves westerns. He's written them science fiction, horror. A quote from him, he said, in a way I like to be confusing by combining genres. I love it. So I love it. He, he's also an underground inspiration. So Stephen King has two books dedicated to him. Oh, my gosh. Cell being Stephen King's zombie book. It's about a phone network that turns humans into vicious animals 
Oh, nice. Playing some broadcast. <laughs> Anne Rice, who did Interview with a Vampire, said he was an early interest in, in yes. looking into vampires and fantasy. Yes, Spielberg, yes. Spielberg, of course, pays tons of homage to him getting his start. So what what, what is the I Am Legend book? Of course, we hopefully probably all know the Will Smith <laughs> more recent thing. But this is where you're talking about. This is the first global pandemic-esque scale. This is the book that popularizes the concept of a worldwide apocalypse due to some disease yeah. that transforms people. And yeah. so I don't think what most people know in terms of this, because the Will Smith one did it a little different, is uh, his inspiration. Famously Matt- went, out, went out to a tune of its own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> did what it wanted to do. Uh, he said... Matheson said, I saw Dracula and it was scary. So I thought if everybody in the world was a vampire, it would be scarier. So this is <laughs> all about vampires. This is not a zombie apocalypse. It's a vampire apocalypse, right. which confuses a heck of a lot of people. Yeah. But he plays into the stereotypes of vampires in folklore because they're really ha- like Romero hasn't made his movie yet. <laughs> there isn't a zombie right. apocalypse. So this is what he's playing off of. So the blood sucking, the if pale skin. A, if everybody was a vampire. So if everybody mm-hmm. was like a slightly less human. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like what would that culture be? And that's the whole <laughs> vampire. The be? Yeah. The vampire thing too is that it transfers from one to another and then you become a vampire. Mm-hmm. But they mm-hmm. look like people and they're completely lucid. And the main character tries to understand them. This is years after the outbreak. There's swarms around his house at night. Females are exposing themselves, like trying to get him to go out with sexuality. Their neighbors shouting at him like constantly. Far from mindless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He barricades himself in. It's all the vampire tropes, repellent of garlic, mirrors, crucifixes. He kills them with wooden stakes during the day. They're impervious to guns, all that stuff. And this also is interesting because it comes down to, he's trying to figure out the science behind it. There's a bacteria that's infecting people, Hmm. which is why the garlic then makes sense because there's an aversion to it. The wooden stake opens up enough air in the wound so that the bacteria then gets oxygenated or something, you know, like there's science That's cool. yeah, reasons yeah, to yeah. it, which which does tie more into modern zombie stuff. Of course, the classic Will Smith thing, he finds a stray dog and brings it back, but then it right. dies. And then the other thing that's interesting relating to Army of the Dead, there are two types of vampires in the original I Am Legend, those that are conscious with the infection and those that are reanimated, who were a corpse reanimated by the bacteria. Gotcha, okay. And then the ending follows the fact that there's this woman, after three years of this guy being stuck, she's a new breed of vampire with a mutation. So she's a spy. She can be out in the daylight. And these new vampires are dispatching all of the undead, sort of zombified ones. He's captured and sees the fear of him. And that's the whole I am legend. He's the last person. He understands, oh, this is why they want to kill me. And then he'll be the superstition like vampires once were to humans. He's the last human. So that's the whole book, which takes a different tack with the Will Smith one. But a lot yeah, of it is, it's, is it's retained. as if those filmmakers like, well, like, why couldn't they sell a vampire movie at that time? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, why did it? Right. Why do you understand the title? Yeah. Who says that if they're all mindless zombies? Who, who, who you know, like who, who he's led, who's calling him legend? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love the book. I read it in high school. And the big takeaway from it being that this is the first real zombie apocalypse type story. 
other apocalypses or nuclear or you're looking for other survivors. Like he is the last person. A critic had said this was the greatest novel ever written on human loneliness. Like it's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Who who this? It's it's also in a suburb. You know, it's not New York to show the grandiosity of the desolation. It's just him alone. Everybody he knew has changed. But Romero wasn't just inspired bookwise. So, like you said, Matheson, big in Hollywood. This is adapted a decade later. So, 1964, still before the zombie stuff. It's titled "The Last Man on Earth," and Vincent Price is the main guy. Mm. And Matheson partially wrote the screenplay. A lot of changes, dissatisfied. He's credited yeah. a different name entirely. His oh, name wow. is not on it, alongside other writers. It's in the public domain now, so I'll post the link. It's black and white. Then there was also 1971, The Omega Man, and then 2007, I Am Legend, which had actually been in development since 1994. If you're talking yeah. about why didn't this, <laughs> why didn't they lean in, like just running the gamut? Tom Cruise was involved, Mel Gibson, Ridley Scott was going to be a director at one point. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the main guy. Who doesn't want to do that story, you know? Yeah. Michael Bay was directing, then Guillermo del Toro was going to direct, and finally it got made with Will Smith. All of that aside, back to Romero. So he's read the book. He's seen The Last Man on Earth in 64. He's making this Night of the Living Dead. Interesting parallel to Zack Snyder. He wrote, directed, and photographed, and edited Night of the Living Dead. And then he also got experience making television commercials which again, Zack Snyder yes. had been doing commercials for 11 years, so he knows his way around the camera. Commercial directors, baby. And this is Romero's directorial debut, which the remake of the second one was Zack Snyder's directorial debut. Similar to Mortal Kombat, like we talked about, it was released <laughs> shortly before the institution of the rating system. Mm-hmm. So that's also why it got lots of buzz and controversy was for the violence and gore for the time. But that, of course, made everybody want to see it, and it earned 250 times its budget. Good Lord. Which is just insane. It's definitely um, always been, it's been a favorite uh, of mine, particularly around Halloween time, but it's been a favorite of mine uh, since I was in middle school, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm huge into to horror. I definitely was in, when I was in public school. And so this is when I was starting to like first make my, you know, some of my short films, Night of the Living Dead was was my was my bible you know uh, oh yes I, it was it's it's an incredible film and um i think it gets forgotten in a lot of ways i think a lot of you know now that zombies have been such a massive genre the last 10 years looking back you know at the at this genre i think you know in terms of a younger audience night of the living dead i fear is slipping away but i hope that it sticks around it's such an important film yeah well it also it practices what you want to preach to young filmmakers because it looks like nowadays some non really gore fest doesn't seem that way. And it right. seems like, oh, some 20 year old could have made this, but the home movie quality. That's why like I was eating it up in, in high school, man, because I'm like, I yeah. can do this. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the big thing that Romero is talking about, because this had a bunch of different drafts. An early draft was about a young man finding rotting human corpses that aliens use for food in a field. Oh, interesting. 
And then another draft had these reanimated corpses, the ghouls, as he's saying, that consume the flesh of the living. And then alongside I Am Legends, like, you know, this is becoming a global thing, coupled with the origin of it, the changes that these people are having, being radiation from a space probe from Venus. Because Plan 9 from Outer Space came out in 57, which is about aliens reanimating and then driving people to attack cities. So you can here see all the connections yeah. to zombies, ghouls, vampires, the slow moving, reanimated. It's like eating you threw people. six puzzle <laughs> puzzles out onto the yeah. floor and you tried to make something out of all six puzzles as one yeah. thing. Yeah, um, all from literature. It, other this film. is what I love. It's pure art. It really is. Um, you know, there's, there's a fine line between, you know, you know, recontextualization, appropriation, and then like actual, you know, you're innovating. Mm-hmm. You're now you're <laughs> you're in the medium as a as a trailblazer. <laughs> well, that's uh, what he said. He's like, I couldn't use vampires because that's what Matheson did. So I've right. got to. And it, it is great that it's like to us, at least zombies are their own thing. It's like you've got vampires, werewolves, zombies. But zombie is really a combination of a, of vampires mixed with ghouls mixed with the original zombies. It's all been thrown into that pail over the decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, and starts he just with ghoul, the undead, and then zombie. It all kind of like utter, you know, like yeah, like the Fast and the Furious now Fast and Furious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all it's all one thing now. So the big thing though is the message that he has behind it. And when you're talking about why would young filmmakers or storytellers latch onto it, he's saying it's about global change of some kind, how people respond or fail to respond. They always represent something. And then a big piece of that in terms of the message, which he said wasn't really a thing, but of course it is, is he casts Dwayne Jones, an African-American, in the leading role, which- This had never been done. Yeah. (laughs) There had never never been such a a thing as a a leading man uh, in Mm -hmm. all, in every sense of the word. And it was actually written in the script for a Caucasian man. The script wasn't changed to reflect that. He was cast purely on his abilities. Yeah. Which is what Romero said. But of course, there is some like... Well, he wouldn't be in the running if it wasn't indicative of yeah. <laughs> of who George Romero is, down to his politics and his ideals. So, you know, du- the fact that he's in the running set, says it all. Yeah. And Dwayne Jones altered the dialogue as well because it was written as an uneducated truck driver. Right. And Dwayne Jones refused to do it that way. He's a well-educated theater actor. He said that I want to present myself as respectable. Yeah. So he didn't, he didn't do what he said. He's bringing a real perspective Then you know, the character. Okay. So I, you cast me, but I'm not the character on the page. Who is my character? You -hmm. you can't ask for a better partner (laughs) when coming down to the, to the creative table. Uh, and, and of course, as a director, yeah. if you if you aren't seeing that, if you're not intaking that and listening, going, you're absolutely right. What are your ideas? Then, then you're too, you're too insecure to be a director. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know that's an amazing creative partner, and it's such a smart thing. And for him, this to be, you know, they don't have careers yet. You know, as far as Romero yeah. goes, this is first thing ever. So for this him, this is in be, this is in Pennsylvania. This right, isn't in LA. Pittsburgh. Yeah. So it's yeah, like, yeah. Uh, for him to be open enough to be like, you're right. Who who are you? You know that yeah. that is that is the hallmark of uh, of of what decisions led to making this a success, and of course he is thinking about the times. This is the end of the sixties. Yeah, make no mistake. I, I think we've talked enough about the sixties on this show for us <laughs> to understand. By the time we were in yeah. sixty eight, I I don't know if if King is dead yet or not. But so uh, on the yeah on the day he was going to get distributors for the film, that's when MLK was assassinated. Wow. Wow. So this is because this is also at the end, spoiler, at the end of this film, everybody dies. 
He yeah. gets shot thinking he's a zombie, which yep. if you know, they say, oh, there's no illusion. He was just making it, but like clearly he's speaking. That's his whole thing is having a message. What do the zombies re- represent? What do well, people it's, represent? It's really open. It's it's put in there. It's like, oh, they thought he was a zombie. Oh, did did they think it, or or does right. it matter? They're out, are they just out there hunting? Uh, and, and so it's it's meant to just completely floor you at the end of the film because he's mm-hmm. your leading man in every sense, like I said. Uh, and then suddenly you think you think the oh man the cavalry's here no. It's oh, mm-hmm. whoa! It's over. What just happened? As fast <laughs> right. as it would happen to you in real life, and that's how the the film ends with that. Whoa! What what yeah. just played out? And just the final moments of their decisions to pull the trigger, and that's how it ends. It's brilliant, shocking, and the the production side of it. Talking about the other piece that people like, so cheap. They filmed in houses that were scheduled for demolition, so they could do whatever they wanted. The flesh that's consumed was donated by one of the actors who owned a butcher shop. Yes. So he had extra ham <laughs> that people <laughs> could eat. They got costumes from Goodwill and thrift stores. And then one of the things that it's revered for is the black and white film Gorgeous. stock. But that was also economically absolutely uh, needed. But then it gives it this sort of homespun realistic because there's color there's color by 68 colors a standard is pretty pretty standard uh so the the idea that it is black and white it looks like an more antiquated thing than it actually is because you're absolutely right it's 100 a financial decision but now here we are uh and it's so romantic for it to have that aesthetic on top of it uh Mm -hmm. and it's so gorgeous in a way that i nobody planned (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah matheson saw it and being a Hollywood guy, he said he was not impressed. He said it was kind of cornball, but then gives George Romero praise. He says, George Romero's a nice guy. I don't harbor any animosity toward him, as opposed mm-hmm. to the thing that's directly based on what, you know, he sees where he's coming from, and it, it is its own thing. Right. But he knows that it's a, it's a reference to I Am Legend. I so see. here we have the zombie momentum coming into full swing. Screenplay never uses the word the movie never uses the word. They're ghouls. They're their own thing. He wanted them to be distinct enough from Haitian zombies, so he avoided mm-hmm. the similarities of White Zombie and other previous mm-hmm. films. The critics of the film were influential in utilizing that term in oh, relation to the creatures. Yeah. So over the next decade before he makes the sequel, that's why zombie became the term that it is for can this see like the the writer editor and like the journal of it was like well they're, well, they're not zombies they're ghoul or the, the undead <laughs> they're, like, ah, they're zombies they're zombies they're zombies write it <laughs> yeah and then people it just caught on yeah so the other thing being in terms of the legacy it's like horror before this was mostly rubber masks costumes lurking in the shadows sets far removed from rural you know the wolf man you know the the invisible man which we covered go check out our episode and the creatures are from somewhere else this what makes it so scary which is now ubiquitous is it's set in an unexceptional location and it's not a crazy creature it's us yeah it's people bringing it right to your front door yeah right halloween friday the 13th nightmare on elm street they all owe this film that that formatting mm-hmm. that like oh this is some creepy the idea thing to right bring this it. really into the suburbs uh you know bring it to your front door bring it to the countryside uh that's that's you couldn't be more spot on uh into the 70s the the horror the idea of what the fear of the unknown is is creeping closer and closer to the self 
um, mm-hmm. until it really catches on in this genre. Uh, it, it's it, 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 you can't be more right that it pushes the focus of the fear. Uh, further and further to the center over the, over the next yeah. two decades through the seventies and the eighties, which is really horror's like heyday. <laughs> yeah, and so what's fascinating about that? Where's Romero go? We see this often with creators. He avoids making a sequel to not be stereotyped as a mm-hmm. horror director. Mm-hmm. He makes a bunch of other films that are adjacent, but not really the crazies. A couple, you know, which is yeah, similar yeah, but yeah. not exactly. Um, but. He realizes the zombie becomes his vessel for messaging. He's taking on a consumerist critique in his sequel, Dawn of the Dead, in 78, where they take refuge in a shopping mall. Realizing that you you could say a multitude of things through the zombie, and this is the first kind of stretch at that. It's like, okay, so it's, you know... I've said, you know, I said what I said about, you know, your political alignments and, you know, uh, that idea. But now what about your personal choices as a whole, as us as a culture and what we're attracted to and what we spend our money on? Where do we spend our time? Those things were under assault in Dawn of the Dead. And so that blows up. His co-creator, they split ways and was making other zombie movies under a similar vein. He goes on to make... I believe four other sequels mm-hmm. before he passes away. But there is a waning slowly as it trickles away. These things come in cycles. And so coming into the 90s really isn't that much. Here we flip to a different media entirely. So two big re- pieces of a resurgence. One of them is video games. So the late 90s, Resident Evil comes out as yeah. well as House of the Dead revitalizing zombies, but in video game form, they also take the more science action-based approach. And this is the origin of the trope of the fast running zombies. Right. It's taking place in these two video games. So they update it. Also, zombie films are huge in Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, Chinese cinema. Mm. There is a type of zombie-esque creature called a Jiangxi, which is a reanimated corpse from Chinese folklore, also known as the ah, hopping zombie or hopping yes. vampire. And similar tropes rest in a coffin or caves, but the difference is that it has rigor mortis, so it's very stiff. Right. So it cannot bend its limbs, so it has to hop. Hence, that's the horror of that, is it's very inhuman and creepy. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. The hopping. So, the hopping. The hopping <laughs> zombie or hopping vampire. So both of these things, video games and these films give a resurgence, which now here we have early 2000s, the remake, our boy Zack Snyder in 2004. Again, his first feature film, he's just getting into it, and he uses a defunct shopping mall slated for demolition. Sound familiar? It is the remake. James Gunn wrote it. Seemed kind of weird. He had just done Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed. Right. (laughs) Nickelodeon's, what do you want to do next, James? Yeah. Oh. What? <laughs> but the thing he adds to it, where he's pulling from the video games, is these running zombies, which which the film world has not been acquainted to. Yeah, they're thought of as slow, lumberous thing, and if you get caught by them, it's your own fault. And Romero was not as into it. He said it sort of loses its reason for being. It felt more like a video game. And then he becomes critical of the zombie genre that he pioneered as a whole, saying Brad Pitt killed it all with World War Z. 400 million to make this thing. The film is not representative of the Max Brooks book. They're just like army ants, all that stuff. Yeah, I didn't didn't see that one. (laughs) What a lot of people say the the remake that Zack Snyder did is saying, which 
obviously helps push the zombie craze in the US is not, even though it's set in the mall and it's all the same stuff, it's not about consumerism, but it's about a fear of terrorism. Yeah. Because of course, in the wake of September 11th, the American public has an increased fear of biological weapons, massive military action. And then the human element is like the question of who are our neighbors and either yes. the propaganda or otherwise of terrorism is going to keep coming until we're dead or they are and you can't threaten them and they're inhuman and all of that stuff gets pumped into the American zeitgeist. Mm. So that's what this film kind of cements It's pretty loose. As. You know, yeah, it, it's yeah. pretty it's pretty loose on that uh, on that edge, but I could definitely I could see that. I could well, that's that. what he's saying. Like Romero's, yeah, like yeah. I don't know if it has that reason for being, but whether or not that's what it was capitalizing right. on. The, that's the the fears of the time that it's being recognized yeah. for. Yeah. So the continued trends of this. Here we are, the flood of zombie work now for the past 10, 20 years. Yeah, Twenty eight really. days later comes out in two thousand two, a couple years previous, and then the books. World War Z, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, Warm Bodies, all of those get adapted to films. Yes, but the yes. big one, which you mentioned at the head of this, was The Walking Dead, which was a comic in 2003 and then is adapted in 2010 and has just now finished up. The interesting thing that I saw from this, tying again all of our zombie stuff is wrapped in together, the comic is published in black and white, which I thought was super interesting, similar to... The original well, I know Night he of did, the Living Dead. I, yeah, and I know he did name a character after Dwayne Jones, the actor that plays oh, really? the main character. Um, so that, yeah, that that makes a total that makes a that makes a bunch of sense. Um, that hadn't occurred to me. I have I have some of the first issues in Zombie and White, and it never totally occurred to me. I guess that's really cool. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, there is a Dwayne Jones uh, tip of the hat. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah, his his initial pitch to the publishing company was for a follow-up to Night of the Living Dead, and it would be taking place in the 60s. But the okay. publisher suggested using an original concept, because it's going to be a mess to get that, and we're going to get, you know, loss, etc. Right, right, right. So then he came up with a different thing, and then they said, well, th that, that was deemed too normal. Like, they didn't like his thing. It swung too far the other way. Oh, so God. then he pitched it. <laughs> he pitched it saying the plague was sent by aliens, and it's more of an alien invasion story, which he had no intention of ever making this, right. but it got the comic published. But it's never addressed in the comics, and I'm not sure, because I haven't seen all the show, if it's ever really explained how this started, but Kirkman said on Twitter of last year when the end of the series came out that it was a space spore, which I believe then harkens to Night of the Living Dead, right. which he was saying it was from a probe in Venus. Because it doesn't, it, it, the zombie lore, a big part of the mythology is that often it doesn't really matter. Right. What started it? It's yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, doing. yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter exactly where it's coming from. It has everything to do with the characters that we've been yeah. introduced to, and yeah, <laughs> the themes that the that the whole movie is running on. That's what I. Th that's what I think. When you say Romero did not thought that the running was really important, I think that hinges on. Uh, where the blame would be lay on, you know, the, where a judgment would be brought down on a character was by how were they devoured. So when you take the running, when you put running into it, now the idea, the 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 gap, there was a gap here inherent of you have you you can get away from these things unless when you take the gap away and you introduce running, I think I'm thinking that that is where George Romero's thinking is, is that the 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 impetus, who's who, 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 why are you dying? What does that mean for the character and the themes abound here in the piece? 
the likelihood that you'd be taken advantage of is shrunk. Uh, mm-hmm. And the likelihood that you would try to take advantage of, of anybody else is shrunk. And not that it, it, it eliminates it, because obviously we've been running zombies for 15 years now. Um, <laughs> But that yeah. I think is the idea here, because you, this is coming from the guy who's inched the the genre, the genre along through the seventies into the eighties. It was a bit dry through the nineties, but this is the guy. That, when we thought of zombies, if you just if you were playing Resident Evil uh, and you thought I'm going to watch a zombie movie, you're going to pull out a George Romero movie. There's hardly anything else to go to at the time. Um, right. So this is the dude that's inched this along each way so he he's understanding what he has done with this genre up until up until now and so he sees a piece of this that acts functionally that Zack Snyder and these new filmmakers don't necessarily see and not that it that it's wrong but it is very different uh, and it does serve to say something different yeah yeah and and that's the beauty of it i also see like the tropes of zombie stuff where they're like why is there always a helicopter involved <laughs> and it's like well cuz zombies are particularly ground creatures and it's right. like well e- the easiest so the plot has to be fabricated around oh well they can't get out just by flying like there has to be some plot device to <laughs> eliminate that as a reason <laughs> and a way for people to get away. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting that, like you're saying, it all ties into, well, what are you using thematically in the same way Matheson is using vampires that can speak to the guy and are right. fully lucid? What does it mean to change it? To you, they me? were romantic. The vampire was a romantic character that drew you in. You didn't know they were a vampire until it was too late. Oh, no, he's, he's bad. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, they, these, these things thing. don't have yeah. those tools at all. So let's circle back to video games, which have a totally different tool. And my God, have there been zombies in video games <laughs> the past 20 <laughs> years. The big ones that I wanted to draw attention to were the Dead Rising series, mm-hmm. also from Capcom, who did Resident Evil. The 2006 first game takes place in a mall. Yeah. <laughs> which is exactly like... There's no mistaking uh, the, 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 the homage yeah. to Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. And the movie that just came out was pretty successful. So here we go. Let's do the video game. <laughs> Let's see. It. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's really, and that had to be what they're saying in the pitch meeting. He's like, we want to do Dawn of the Dead in the video game. We want like, yeah. like, a, a, like a Grand Theft Auto, but in a mall and zombies. Oh, yeah. Here's the money. Do it. <laughs> and they were quick on avoiding the lawsuit stuff because they said, and they had their legal team ready. Humans battling zombies in a shopping mall is a wholly unprotectable idea. And that was yeah. their precedent. Yeah. And so the lawsuit was dismissed. And they even preempted it by putting a disclaimer on the box that says not developed, approved, or licensed by George Romero or Dawn of the Dead. Like his name is well, on the box. Well, that's nice that they did that. <laughs> yeah. They, <laughs> they just want to lose. Their own behest. Yeah. 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 No legal anything. We're not copying. This is its own thing. It has nothing to do with him. What's interesting is it kind of gets flipped. So the sequel video game is set in Fortune City, which is, you know, uh, Las Vegas, essentially. Yeah. And it is a it is a father-daughter story about this guy trying to keep his daughter alive because yeah. she's been bitten by a zombie and there's a drug that slows down the process. But it's so interesting. Isn't that familiar? Here comes yeah. this thing by Zack Snyder, which is like, <laughs> oh, my God, zombies in Las Vegas and a yeah. father-daughter story. And it's like, well, that was their video game that came out. <laughs> 11 years ago. Right. Hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. So that that also, in the video game world, ties together. 
I was a big film. Left for Dead fan. That one, that mm-hmm. one was fun. It was built to be like a movie. You know, you had your squad, very you cooperative. Play. Yeah, I, 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 that was the that was the one. I had the second one. I loved it. So I'm excited. I think that they're making a sequel. If I'm not remiss, I hope I wasn't April Fool. Now I'm t- lying to you all. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it, the video game genre component of this can't be understated for carrying all, almost equal weight, uh, at least up until 2010. My God. Yeah, but I think the the thing we're we're poking at this whole time is kind of the trends, the cycles, and this one person posited it's usually related to teen-specific culture crazes. So like paranormal romance from the last 15 years started literarily and then went to film Twilight, Vampire Academy, True Blood, Mm -hmm. Vampire Diaries, all that mess was going on. The post-apocalyptic stuff, Hunger Games, Divergent, The Giver, all books turned into film stuff. And I think with the modern trend, what this journalist was saying is like elevated horror is what people are calling it, or a social thriller. It follows the witch, get out, hereditary. It's all about relationships between families or communities, and the horror is coming from human beings around us or from our minds, which is what you're saying with this story. It is a father-daughter thing. We already get what zombies are. Right. So maybe that is a piece of it. This is what I saw in the film. Uh, spoiler, I, who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. What I saw in the film, it's set up with Dave Batista has to put down, for lack of a better term, his wife uh, and mother of his daughter because she's a zombie. And the daughter mm-hmm. witnesses it. And we are set up to believe that this created a chasm between father and daughter. And so we pick up after the fact. He's putting a good. We're putting together. What's the job? They're putting together the <laughs> yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, classic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so the whole film is about them coming together. It was all about the personal side of it, where she goes, "No, it's because you 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 couldn't talk to me afterward. That you didn't come to see me uh, afterwards. That we that because there there was silence. There was silence." Uh, and I yeah. thought that was very interesting. This is all about the the things that we leave unsaid. Uh, and the things that we misdirect our, our insecurities and fears into that drive us apart for reasons that are, are honest in our own head. I thought it to be very beautiful that it's it's capstone by that. Uh, and well, that I the think whole even... film is about this this father and daughter trying to come together. And when you add in what Zack Snyder has been through in his personal life, uh, that right. that's where my head was the whole the whole movie. And I think it even in a way as you're talking about it ties into some of the original what Romero is inspired by, the I Am Legend. This is one of the greatest stories of loneliness, and it's just yeah. a guy trying to figure it out in his head. It's very internal. The zombies can taunt him, and there are different types of zombies that provide different conflict. It's interesting that this also, people are saying, oh, there's a new zombie take. These ones are more sentient. They're forming an army. They're having babies. Right. There's, there's a like queen. An, you know, like- yeah. There's an empathy that has to be carried out where it's like, oh, yeah, you can just it's 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 almost a mercy to shoot the old style zombies. There's because- a there's a line and they say uh, one of the characters says early on the, the German uh, mercenary woman says the they are not what you think. Uh, yeah. and, and it's very, very much directed at the audience. Like these zombies are not what you think. You're about to see something different. And it is it is fascinating how he opens this up to there's a whole culture uh zombie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it is Which is uh, very much I am legend. They are yes, taking over in the yes. new one. So I think it is we're talking about like the modern trend. He's already Zack Snyder, that is, put in everything we already know about zombies and heist stories. But here comes the more modern thematics which maybe 
will be carried out in the rest of what they're trying to do with this. I just thought the uh, the journey of a father and daughter coming back together. Uh, oh yeah, and 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 seeing it lay bare that the function of the zombie here was trauma, unconfronted trauma that pushes us apart. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it. I thought it was beautiful, and we're finally being able to bring this genre closer in. Yes, we got the social pressures going on, the state of the world. Now we're pushing it inward more, further. We're further mm-hmm. pushing that lens in of going, okay, we have the social ideas here, but what about the self? And how do these social things affect when an event like a 9-11 happens? Well, how does that actually affect me and my daughter in ways that we don't speak, in ways that we don't yeah. talk about? Yeah. Uh, the Really digging under the surface of what does trauma do and how does it push us apart in silent, insidious ways? I think that that can be a better reason for somebody like this yeah. to make a movie like this. <laughs> I think it's definitely, yeah, the, the zombies have been the external horror like projected of what we think right, and maybe right, like right. you're saying the new trend for zombie stories will be a reflection inside it's the yes. internal horror of our minds yeah. of what it is and what we think it is i loved it i hope you <laughs> loved it too thank you so much for listening to us thank you taylor this was incredible thank you, i love this uh, let us know what you are into. Let us know what you're watching or what show you're excited for. Are they adapting something that you're really into? Uh, let us know uh, to keep a, a, an eye out for it. Uh, you never know when we'll do something on your favorite thing. So uh, keep in touch with us at Pod on Instagram. And we will catch you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>